Alrighty, folks, welcome back to a new episode of The Drop Zone. This is Sean Zock, and we are flying solo today. Why, you ask? Well, my co-host is still on his honeymoon. Dylan got married a week ago, and he's enjoying himself for one more honeymooning day before he comes back to work. If you're listening on a Monday, well, you can celebrate Dylan's 30th birthday. The kid is 30 now. Happy birthday to Dylan. He shares a birthday with Xander Shoffley, who is two years younger than Dylan, and for Long-time Drops on listeners, we will never forget that two years ago, when we discussed this with Xander, Xander said, oh, he's at a different stage of his life, right to Dylan's face. Two years, it's a different stage of his life. It was not easy to watch that in person. Anyway, if you're feeling nice for Dylan, tweet at my co-host, congratulate him on this momentous birthday. 30 is a big deal. And now you might be wondering, what the hell is Sean going to do without Dylan? Well, folks, we ran this podcast for years before Mr. DeChair came around. Years. So this week, we are back in the solo saddle, and I'm just going to rip off some takes for you. We are going to run through some stories of the week with some random thoughts and musings that I've been stewing on. Hopefully, it all adds up to something entertaining, at least 20 minutes long, hopefully not longer than 30. Whether we reach these goals or not, it doesn't matter. We will be back to regularly scheduled programming next week with Mr. DeChair back in the co-host seat. Before then, first, you got to let me know if this format works or if this format stinks. If it works, we might do more of them. If it stinks, then we won't. So without further ado, four thoughts for the week, folks. You're getting four things that I've been thinking about. First, there is a golf course in Minnesota that is devoted to the Beatles. Devoted to the Beatles. This comes via a story on golf.com this week from Josh Burhow. So if you're a Beatles fan, you need to check it out. Josh does not write a ton of features for us, but when he does write these features, it's always like this random rabbit hole that you dive into. He dives deep into the detail. This story follows exactly that. The course in Minnesota is called Montgomery National. It's just south of Minneapolis, maybe an hour south of Minneapolis proper. 30 miles south of Hazeltine. Its holes are named after Beatles songs. There's a big yellow submarine in a pond on the 18th hole. There is Beatles paraphernalia all over the clubhouse. There's a special speaker box. There are one of the bunkers out there on the property is this gigantic pit of sand, but it's shaped like a guitar. All of these things are the result of an owner who is absolutely crazy about the Beatles. Someone compared this guy to Willy Wonka, and I think, frankly, I think it checks out. He pulls out his microphone some nights and just sings out into the open land. It's his own little special area, which I think is pretty cool. He does what he wants with it. He tossed a bunch of money into it, and he's not going to sell it. And you know what? People dig it. The course is really popular. So you should go check out that story on golf.com. We publish it on Friday. That's the really best way of understanding it all. And I just kind of want to say that I think this is freaking great. Like, there's nothing silly about the golf holes on this property. I think that's the important part. This is a legitimate golf course. But what I want to see more of is more gimmicky themed golf courses. I want to see a Nike golf themed course that has bunkers in the shape of swooshes or the Jumpman logo. I want specific holes mimicking the holes that Tiger Woods has excelled on or Rory McIlroy or Brooks Kepka. Holes named after Phil Knight, you know, the founder of Nike, Tinker Hatfield, the 
epic shoe designer. Maybe Beaverton as a city could be the name of a golf hole because that's where Nike is headquartered. Maybe we name one hole after Frank, you know, the Paul Giamatti voiced uh, head cover that took off in the early 2000s. Maybe an ode to the University of Oregon. I just think that that would be a pretty interesting golf course. I think Nike should do it themselves. I think they have the money, right? All I'm saying is there is a weird world of golf that we're living in, which courses are being purchased, closed, repurposed, whatever. People are taking up the game and are really content to be a 30 handicap and just outdoors. So why not a Budweiser themed golf course, right? (laughs) Is that so crazy? Like, wouldn't you tell all your buddies about that time that you played the Budweiser golf course that served up free Bud Lights and the, the holes were named after Super Bowl commercials? Remember that Bud Y Zer Frog or that was a commercial <laughs> like the Clydesdale horses like Dilly Dilly Budweiser has a branding opportunity like we don't forget about these things. Why don't you put them all in the same place? That's a free idea for the folks at Budweiser. They can run with it. And hopefully, if you are not interested in that, I promise that our topics for this solo podcast will only improve from here. The second idea that I've been thinking about for a while is a lot more serious than a Budweiser-themed golf course. It is about the money that we devote to the women's game. Now, I need to begin this uh, with a caveat for this entire topic. And the caveat would be that... uh, I'm not a money distributor in golf. I am a watchful bystander, a critic, uh, but I don't dish out the funds, the dough. But I have no choice but to think about it and talk about it and opine on it when you read the headlines and you see that the PGA Tour's like big money TV contract, all the f- money that's flowing into the PGA Tour, that adds up to the Players' Championship in 2022 purse shooting up $5 million, a 33% increase in the purse, up to $20 million. So the field of whatever, 144, 156, however many people are going to be playing the players in March, $20 million will get dished out to those guys who make the cut. So when that happens, I think it's it's hard not to think about how that compares to the women's game. Like, let's say Jordan Spieth wins the 2022 Players' Championship, right? It's not that far from now six months away and then he turns around and he takes every dollar from that win and he turns it into a brand new lpga tour tournament let's call it the jordan spieth invitational that money that purse would rank as the sixth biggest purse on this year's current lpga schedule so more money will be won by the champion of the players than is dished out in about 75% of LPGA Tour tournaments. Now, if you are aware of the game and the various reasons that lead to this discrepancy, you might roll your eyes and you might say, Sean, this has always been this way. And if you are, fine. I just think it's an extremely lame perspective. Uh, I think it's lame that the total amount of purse money in the Champions Tour is greater than that oftentimes of the LPGA Tour. I think there's a lot of money that surrounds these senior tour players, uh, men whose days are best days are, are behind them, call me crazy. I just think that more of that money should go to the women's game. And I know that it's not that simple, right? I know that there's a huge uh, audience for the Champions Tour, people that really care about watching Bernard Langer and Phil Mickelson and Jim Furyk duke it out. But it doesn't seem like this issue has to be too complex either. Like, 
we have certain sponsors in the women's game that are actually stepping up. You have your AIGs of the world, your KPMGs of the world, and now your Chevrons of the world. There's a headline a couple weeks ago that Chevron is getting into sponsoring the women's game. The first major of the calendar year, the ANA Inspiration, will now be known as the Chevron Championship. That's the event, if you don't know, where the winner will win and then go jump in the pond with their caddy and their family just off the 18th green. The sad news is they're going to move the event to Houston, but the good news is that Chevron is boosting the purse of that event to $5 million, up from $3.1 million. That is a 61% increase, a gigantic increase, a six-year contract. Now, Chevron, as a company, has sponsored golf events in the past. They've sponsored a Corn Ferry tournament for the last few years, but that's only a $1 million purse. That's an event that's not going to get a bunch of TV time. This is one of the biggest events in women's golf, and it will be now an even bigger event in women's golf, as it should be. So kudos to Chevron. Also kudos to Brandel Chambly. Now, why am I giving Brandel a shout-out? Basically, Brandel is he's working on, I would say, one of the coolest golf courses, the coolest uh, theories or ideas for a golf course that I've heard in a long time. Brandel is setting up to build a golf course strictly with the best women's players in the world in mind. He's putting the women first. Now, what he wants to do is he wants to make a TPC sawgrass type of elevated uh, golf course, but strictly with the women's game in mind. A track that it doesn't just start with the men's championship tees and then moves up and puts women's, che- women's tees in certain spots. This is a course that starts with the women right away. And frankly, it's a pretty brilliant idea. It's so simple in theory that it's kind of sad that we haven't, you know, already done this or haven't created it by now but the location is already picked out it's down in southern 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 texas like right over the border from mexico in a city called harlingen it's right next to another property that brandel's already working on which is good means he'll be able to focus on it but in reality what does it mean brandel said quote that means bunkers at appropriate yardages appropriate width across the fairways appropriate height of rough and so forth We want approaches that allow the women to get the ball out on the green and spinning, providing the same excitement that the men provide, end quote. Again, what does that mean? Well, if you are new to the women's game, women hit it straighter than men do, so tighter fairways, absolutely needed. Most courses on the LPGA Tour, they're kind of set up a little bit too long, and there have been plenty of stories that have come out about this where LPGA Tour players want to make more birdies. They want to show off just like the men do. Well, Brandel wants his golf course to be something around 6,100 yards. Right now, like 6,400 yards is basically the average on the LPJ Tour. He wants these women to hit wedges into greens, to be able to split, spin the ball back just as much as the men do. These are the building blocks that he's decided to work with. I think it's phenomenal. I cannot wait to see more plans in the coming years. We are, unfortunately, years away because, look, these things take a lot of time. But kudos to Brandel. Let's move on. Topic number three. Topic number three is Mr. Mindset. It's Rory McIlroy. Rory is Mr. Mindset. If you are a faithful Drop Zone listener, you would note that last week we did not host a recap of the CJ Cup where Rory won, but that's what happens when your co-host gets married and your other co-host wakes up hungover. Um, Rory won the CJ Cup, as you probably well know. He kind of cruised to that victory. He won by one, but no one was really, really pushing him, it felt like. And I'm just kind of taking a little bit of a hunch here. You're probably a Rory McIlroy fan. If you're listening to this, you're probably a Rory fan. Is anyone 
not a Rory fan? If you weren't a Rory fan before the Ryder Cup, maybe you are now, right? Because he poured out his heart to Sky Sports on the TV broadcast. Then he turned around and did it to Golf Channel literally a couple seconds later. The guy was crying on TV in Europe and here in the States. Um, He was extremely emotional, and it was great to see. But from Rory, it wasn't like totally surprising, right? Rory always tells us how he's doing. He's never really short with the media. He broke down, remember, back in July of 2019, he missed the cut at Portrush. He started crying on TV then because he really, really wanted to make the cut in the country he grew up in. Um, he shows us his emotions, right? He tells us about the emotions, and he often does it at length. Like You're never getting a short answer from Rory, and as a result, I think this is pretty simple. He gains fans from all of this sharing. Makes you wonder, like, would Colin Morikawa have more fans if he kind of showed us a little bit more of what he's frustrated with? Like if he said a little bit more about why his putting really bothers him? If Colin Morikawa was a bit more publicly introspective, would that be seemed like a weakness or would it seem like, holy cow, that's really relatable? Would he have more fans as a result? Uh, these are the things I think about <laughs> when, uh, when Rory McIlroy plays well because we the media do this thing with Rory perhaps more than any other pro. He tells us about himself, what he's thinking about, and we write out about his newfound realization. A lot of people write columns about things Rory says in press conferences. We move on, we see if he wins, and then the next week or a month later, we kind of do it again. We seriously do it maybe a dozen times a year with him, in part because he is so open and liberal with his inner thoughts. Not each of the things that he says to us, of the things that get opined on, the, the things that become headlines are substantial, but some of them are. And I think the Whistling Straits Ryder Cup interview was one of them. And I think also his interview after the CJ Cup was too. You may have seen the clip. After winning, he stood there talking to Kira Dixon from Golf Channel. And he said, being me is good enough. Being me is good enough. I'm sitting there in my living room and I wanted to shout at the television screen, duh, Rory, you have always been good enough. Being you has always been good enough. But for me, of course, that is like all the hindsight in the world. I've doubted Rory like a lot. I still doubt the guy. I think winning uh, a four-day race to 25 under on a Tom Fazio designed golf course where you just bomb it and play every shot through the air, that's basically pre-scripted stuff for Rory. So I'll definitely continue to doubt the guy uh, a bit, especially when he steps up to the first tee at Augusta National in April. But I would like to say that it doesn't mean he won't be in a better place this time around. If any of you, like me, have kind of gotten a little bit tired at times of Mr. Mindset McElroy, it's because he's really kind of flip-flopped here and there between mindsets. If you think back to his recent trips to Augusta this past year in the spring, he said he was relaxed and he was trying to get his head in the right place. He was trying to not be so technical in his thoughts with his swing. Think back to the fall masters, the the masters before this past spring, he's said multiple times that he had started experimenting with speed training, trying to be a different player than he was before the 2019 masters, right? Now we're talking a couple years ago, He said he was kind of getting a bit zen. He was reading more books than ever, and he was 
trying to not focus too much on any one single week, right? He wants to kind of stay the same and be great at a certain level in a certain way over the course of 20 years, not focus on one single week. 2018, the year before that, he was saying that you can't treat every week the same because every week isn't the same. You got to go out and get the masters. It's not going to fall into your lap. And finally, like if we go back all the way to 2015, probably maybe the second most important masters of his life. He's coming off of two straight majors. Rory said, and he has said multiple times that the hype of the grand slam got to him, the career grand slam. He needs that green jacket. He said it time and again, he let the hype get to him. So if you think about all those Augusta national press conferences and you package them all together, it feels like Honestly, like every one of those things, Rory has kind of been thinking about it all a bit too much, thinking about the stage and the gravity maybe of everything and what it could be like to win another major and to win that major, perhaps thinking about that a bit more than really just remembering who the hell he is, Rory freaking McElroy. Like read back through those transcripts like I just did today. It reminded me that It reminded me of the Rory that we saw like early at the Ryder Cup, a guy who said, I'm keeping my emotions down on purpose. I'm not going to let the emotions of the Ryder Cup squeak out of me because, you know, that's that's felled me in the past. It felled me against Patrick Reed. I I ran out of energy. Well, a couple of days later, he got benched for a session for the first time in his career. Then he came out and beat Xander. He showed every emotion he had. He showed up at the Ryder (laughs) Cup. He showed up at the CJ Cup and won, and he said that great, great line, being me is good enough. If you just look at the last two months of Rory, this does feel different, this version of Rory. And like I said, we've seen different versions of the kid over the past seven years where he has not won a major, but this one feels different. He's not trying to be perfect. He has an idea that, hey, You can't be a perfect golfer. You can still be really damn good without trying to be perfect. He knows that his good is plenty good. He showed it a couple weeks ago. I didn't get a chance to talk about it. And I still feel probably more excited now than I ever have been to watch the kid play golf. So lastly, topic number four. This one's random. And as you may know, Hideki Matsuyama won Sunday in Japan at the Zozo Championship, a five-shot win, the kind of victory uh, that made me really happy. (laughs) You know, I went to Japan this summer, and I saw, holy cow, just how mega of a star that guy can be over there, the kind of victory that we will remember. uh, We will remember for who did it, for where they did it, by how much they did it, but 12 months from now, we there's there's no chance we're going to remember who the runners-up were. Do you even know who the runners-up were? <laughs> Every headline is about Hideki Matsuyama, not who finished second place, which is fine. I get that. But who did finish in second place were Cameron Tringali and Brendan Steele. They're both going to remember it, but we won't. So, Sean, why the hell are you talking about them? Well... I'm just interested a little bit more today than I was three days ago in how we treat runners-up because we treat runners-up in a pretty negative way. You finish second place once, that's fine. Hey, man, congrats. You finish second place a second time, we start to ask, wait, can this guy play clutch golf? Can he play nervous golf? 
you finish second place three or four times, you start to ask, can this guy even win? Like, seriously? It's not totally fair. It's not totally unfair. But when you finish runner-up 13 times, finish runner-up 13 times in the same season, yeah, that happened. <laughs> and I found out about it for the first time this week. Let me introduce you to a guy named Harold McSpaden. McSpaden, I'm not really sure of the pronunciation. All I know is that Harold's nickname was Jug. Harold Jug McSpaden. How did I happen upon Harold Jug McSpaden? I was looking into that special 1945 season from Byron Nelson. And you probably know about that season. It's you know, arguably the greatest season in the history of the PJ Tour. 18 victories in 30 starts, 11 wins in a row. The stats are stupid. They're just stupid. I glanced at the spreadsheet, you know, when did all these wins, did they happen in January? Did they pile up through August? What did this all look like? And I noticed in the column far, far to the right is this recurring name, Harold McSpadden. That name was there constantly in the runner-up position, 13 times in the runner-up position that year. My man Jug finished second to Byron Nelson seven times that year. He finished second to Ben Hogan. He finished second to Sam Snead, second to Henry Picard. I don't know if you recognize that name. He's a two-time major champion. He finished second to everybody. <laughs> I think that's, that's worth remembering, right? Like second place finishes can be extremely worth remembering. And what's ironic is there was only one victory for our man Jug that year. And of course, it came in a team competition. He didn't even win it outright. He did it at the Miami Four Ball. And who was his teammate? No one else but Byron Nelson himself. Of course. If you can't beat him, join him. At least that's what they say. Well, our lovely runner-up, he did win 17 times in his tour career, but never a major. His best finish in the majors, you guessed it, was a runner-up finish at the 1937 PGA Championship. That fateful May 30th at Pittsburgh Field Club. Jug had a two-hole lead in the match. It's a 36-hole match, three holes to play. He's up two. Like, get it in the house, my guy. Unfortunately, he goes bogey, double bogey to reach the 36th tee tied. Okay, anyone's ball game here. Let's get off the runner-up schneid, right? From there, the story goes that he missed a four-footer for birdie on 18 and then bogeyed the first playoff hole to lose in, gosh, it must be the most excruciating way. Runner-up, once again, that four-footer drops. He's a major champion. He's an 18-time tour winner. And you know what? He's probably a World Golf Hall of Famer. But if you look him up on Wikipedia, you will note he is not a World Golf Hall of Famer. Instead, he will never make the call. He will never make the hall. Pretty sad. He was a good sport about it all, though, because in 1995, the year before he passed away, he told his good buddy Byron Nelson, the man who had beaten him constantly so many times, quote, if you wouldn't have been born, I'd have been known as a pretty good player, end quote. We cannot disagree with the man. Diving into that guy's career, though, a man who I had never heard of before last week, first off, great nickname, second off, incredible runner-up career. You have no choice but to think about, okay, who will be the modern-day Harold Jug McSpaden? Like, who will the history books kind of largely forget about because they didn't win enough? 50 years from now, whatever. 
Will that man be Ricky Fowler, the guy who didn't win enough? Will it be Tony Finau, a guy who had a ton of second-place finishes? Those guys were on Ryder Cup teams. So was Jug. Mr. Fowler, he's been on made-for-TV specials. Jug was, too. Him and Nelson, they were a part of this TV reel that was called Iron Masters. Just those two guys playing golf in the 1940s on TV. Now, it might literally be impossible to forget about players of Ricky Fowler or Tony Finau's stature these days because there's so much media saturation. There's endless sponsors. You know, Google Images never forgets anything. It's more powerful than ever. But it's something to think about. Might be Louis Oosthuizen. He might be the modern-day Jug McSpaden with all his second-place finishes. Remember two of them this year in major championships alone? He's got the major runner-up Grand Slam, right? He's finished second in every single major. The modern-day Jug McSpaden also might be a guy like Steve Stricker. Zero career majors, 16 career runner-up finishes, 12 wins, so finishing second more than finishing first. $44 million, though, in career lifetime earnings. We will never forget about that until like 30 years from now when the 2052 Players' Championship purse is $80 million and the Jordan Spieth Invitational is dishing out $14.4 million. And our man, Dylan DeChair, is 60 years old. Sorry, Dylan. Thank you to everyone else for making it through this podcast, for making it through four very random topics. Thanks for putting up with me and my voice for, gosh, over 26 minutes now. Unfortunately, your job is not over yet. The last thing you must do is tweet at me telling me if I have bad takes, good takes, and if we should do this type of thing more often. What do you want your drop zone to be? Sean underscore Zock, S-E-A-N underscore Z-A-K. We will see you next week.